0: Got 20 minutes? Then you have time for a Bible study.
1: Jesus Name above all names I worship you Jesus Worthy to be praised
0: I you. Welcome to another episode of 20-Minute Bible Studies. Romans 10.17 says that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Over the next 20 minutes, you're going to hear an important message directly from God's Word and have your faith and knowledge increased. All you have to do is listen. Now, here are your teachers. I'm Andy Baylog. And I'm Jordan
1: Pine. Jesus is God. He is not just a prophet who died. He is not only the Son of God. Jesus is God the Son. He is God himself. The Bible is clear about this, yet some still doubt it. Others simply do not know all the scriptures that prove it. Let's fix
0: that. Let's listen now to the Word of God. A reading from the Gospel of John. In the beginning, did not comprehend it. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. That was John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5 and 10 to 14. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word.
1: It's important to take out of the Bible what God put into it rather than reading into the Bible what we want it to say. That's why we created the SPACE method. SPACE is an acronym that reminds us to consider the speaker SP, audience A, and context C before attempting an E explanation. The speaker here is the Apostle John, writing under the
2: inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's writing for the early church throughout Asia Minor that's the audience somewhere around 90 AD i would say in particular he's writing to complement the other gospels and fill in some information only he knew as if you remember the disciple whom jesus loved so that's the context
1: and what does john say he says we saw his glory speaking of the glory of jesus christ the divine the quote glory of the only begotten from the father that statement is pretty clear and emphatic Yet some people see a little wiggle room in it. For instance, a commentator on our Facebook page recently wrote that she believes Jesus is the Son of God, but only the Son of God. God is God alone, she wrote. His Son is the Son alone. The commenter is struggling with something that many have struggled with. How could Jesus be apart from God, but also God? How can God be one, but also three? This is the very heart of Christianity.
2: It's the mystery of the Trinity. It's not easy to understand, but it is biblical. Both the Old Testament and the New Testament contain evidence of this truth. So let's start with a few key verses from our scripture reading today. And I'll read from John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and
1: the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Again, this is pretty emphatic. We learn three things about Jesus. One, he is eternal, in the beginning was the Word. Two, he was with God prior to coming to earth, the Word was with God. And he is God, the Word was God. So question, why is Jesus called the Word here? Well, Jordan, let's look at the Greek, and the word in
2: the Greek there is logos. You know, in Greek philosophy, the logos was divine reason or the mind of God. So let's remember the audience here. John is writing to the churches throughout Asia Minor in or around 80-90. The civilized world at this time was heavily influenced by Greek philosophy, which is why, for example, you see Paul, and you can see it in the book of Acts. He's going to debate the Greek philosophers in Athens at Mars Hill regarding this topic.
1: Yes, yeah, so John is explaining the divinity of Jesus by connecting with Greek philosophy, asserting that Jesus is this divine mind that they knew about the Lagos. Lest there's any doubt about that, any doubt that John is talking about Jesus, by verse 29, John is calling him by his name. Quote, the next day he, meaning John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Okay, so now I'm moving on to John 1.10 from our scripture reading. That reads, he was in the world and the world came into being through him. So question, what does this verse tell us about our Lord?
2: Well, first of all, we know he was in the world because the Bible itself, as well as non-biblical historical documents, such as the writings of Josephus, who, if you don't know, he was a contemporary of Jesus. These writings give us detailed accounts about the man, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, as far as Jesus being the creator of the world and living in his creation, again, this is biblical truth, and it should not be unreasonable to believe or to even understand. So to support this, let's use a simple example. Once there was a man who purchased 40 acres of land. He levels it. He surveys it. He digs out a perimeter. Then he pours a foundation and he builds a structure on that foundation, which would become his abode. That house is where he will eat, he will live, he will rest. And it sounds simple, right? Well, of course, this is an everyday reality for people. So, you know, my question is, why so much skepticism from people to believe that Jesus created the world as God, the son, and then chose to live in it as God, the man?
1: Yeah, that's a great point, Andy. And then John 1.14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this verse pairs with John 1.1 and verse John 1.10 and sort of completes a three-verse set that represents a perfect theology of Jesus. Jesus is God and has been God from the beginning. Jesus is the creator of all things. And then Jesus humbled himself and became human in order to pay the price for sin. Well, what about that word begotten? Doesn't it just imply that
2: Jesus came out of God the Father?
1: Yeah, there is some confusion about that word begotten. And, you know, in the Greek, it's the word monogenes, you know, mono meaning one, and we have that um, word in English. So, you know, this word means the only one of his kind. And then God uses the, don't forget, God uses the metaphor of father and son, and the flesh aspect of Jesus was actually born of a woman. So we get begotten, but it doesn't mean that God the Son was created. Mano simply means he is the only one of his kind, the only God-man. Okay,
2: so this is similar to how people misunderstand the Old Testament Shema, and that's the famous Jewish prayer that begins, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. And they will argue, you see, it says
1: it right there. God is one, not three. Yeah, right. But that Hebrew word, echad, also has this sense of one and only or unique. In fact, the Shema contains a plural word for God. To see that, let's go back and also connect John 1.1 with Genesis 1.1. This will be some foundational stuff. So Genesis 1.1, in case you've forgotten, is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1.1, 1, 1, you'll notice the parallelism here. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there's a symmetry and a true theology here of the Old Testament plus the New Testament combined. In the beginning, the Word, who was with God and was God, created the heavens and the earth. Remember John 1.14, the world came into being through him. Yeah, well, doesn't John 1.1 1, 1 actually contradict Genesis 1-1? I mean, it only says God created. Yeah, again, the Hebrew, we, it's a great question, Andy, and thanks for, uh, you know, playing the devil's advocate. The, uh, the, the Hebrew word for God there is Elohim, and that's a plural noun. It's actually the same word that's used in the Shema. In Hebrew, it literally says something like, Jehovah is Elohim, Jehovah is one. Jehovah, of course, is the written form of Yahweh, the name God the Father used in the Old Testament. It literally means I am, meaning self-existent, uncreated. When God spoke to Moses from the burning bush, he commanded him to bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And then Moses asked, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? What shall I tell them? And God replies, this is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That's Exodus 3, 14.
2: Okay, Jordan, but for our listeners, where in the Bible does it specifically say that God is three?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the clearest verse uh, would be Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, the Great Commission. Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Also, if you go looking in the Bible, I mean, you'll find the Trinity everywhere from Genesis in the sense of Elohim, that plural plural noun, to Revelation where all three persons of the Godhead are mentioned separately. But let's get back to Jesus specifically. I have a question for you now, Andy. What other biblical evidence is there that Jesus is God? Well, let me take everybody to John chapter 20,
2: verses 26 to 28. A week later, his disciples were again in the house and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, saying, My Lord and my God. Now, remember, Thomas, he's a Jew here. He's wholeheartedly one who believed in the one true God and had probably recited the Shema hundreds of times calling Jesus my God. And then also I'd like to take everybody to Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. And that simply reads, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. I'm going to say that one more time. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now that's perhaps the strongest rebuke to the idea that Jesus the Son was less than God the Father in some way. You know, Paul even says all the fullness of God here lives in the bodily form of Jesus. And also earlier, Paul says in the letter to the Colossians, the Son is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all creation. That was Colossians 1:15. And Hebrews 1, verse 3 takes this further. And it reads: The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. You know, but we actually don't need to look to apostles or epistles for proof of Christ's divinity. Christ himself claimed this. He claimed to be God.
1: Yeah, and that's in John 10. Uh, I'll read verses 27 to 30. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Notice uh, that's assurance right there. That is the key, one of the key verses for the doctrine of assurance. And then he says, "My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand." So there you go. That's double assurance. And then he says, "I and the Father are one." Now in the Greek, he is saying that he and the Father are a unity or of one essence. And really, it's the same meaning as in the Shema that we saw. Jehovah is Elohim. Jehovah is one, that sense of oneness or unity. And earlier in John 8, 58, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now remember back to Moses and the burning bush. When Jesus said, I am, he was again claiming his divinity. And there is yet another time that Jesus claimed to be God. Yes, Jordan, and we see that in John
2: chapter 12, verse 15. This is where Jesus said, He who sees me sees the one who sent me. Now, the Jews who heard these statements at the time fully understood what Jesus was claiming. Right after Jesus said, I and the Father are one, in John 10 30, the Bible says, Quote, His Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? And then the Jews answered back, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. And that's John 10, 33.
1: Yes, they had a similar response back in John 5 when Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. The Bible says for this reason, they were seeking all the more to kill him why because he was not only breaking the sabbath but also was calling god his own father and again it says making himself equal with god that's john 5 18
2: well i say amen to that jordan in summary throughout the years and even until this day the enemy through people is trying to discredit jesus's deity however that doesn't mean that god is not aware of their intentions Look at the parable of the landowner in Matthew 21, verses 33 to 39. We come to find that the hired workers eventually saw the son arrive, and they said amongst themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill and seize his inheritance. Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees and the elders, they knew exactly who Jesus was. Verse 45 even tells us that they knew Jesus was speaking this parable specifically about them. And that's because they carried the same traits as their father, the devil. They were just jealous of Jesus. So please, whether we hear it from non-believers, agnostics, or maybe just confused Christians, there is no doubt God knows the motive behind people's blatant disregard for the truth. That Jesus Christ always is, always was, and always
1: will be Elohim, God the Son. You know, Andy, from almost the beginning of the church, there's been this claim that Jesus is not fully God or that Jesus was not fully man. You know, it kind of went both ways. The Gnostics believed he was not fully man. Why is this God man concept so difficult for people, do you think? So, my opinion, Jordan, is that Jesus Christ
2: needed to be man and also 100% God so that he could take our place on the cross. Remember, Romans 633 tells us that the penalty of sin is death, but the free gift of God is in Christ Jesus. So he came as our kinsman, redeemer, and he paid for our sins in full, so that we would never have to see that punishment of death and and having to to go to hell. So the point I'm trying to bring out here, and, and tell me your opinion on this is that the enemy, the devil, is always trying to just dis, again discredit the the fullness of. The full interpretation of what Jesus represents, and if you take any part of what Jesus is—again, hundred percent God, hundred percent man—if you take any part of that equation out, then our salvation, according to you know our Judge, God the Father, is not fulfilled. You know, it's got to fulfill His law, and that's what Jesus did.
1: Yeah, I think it's a difficult concept because um, you know we, we talked earlier about sort of the competing. Uh, philosophies and worldviews of the Greeks, which is when um, a lot of this stuff was the Bible was written, the New Testament portion of the Bible was written, and even today, to, to equate it to today, there there are so many other competing um, philosophies. Just even the concept of um, you know, for example, reincarnation, or you know, does suffering matter? Does it not matter? I mean, back then and now, there are so many competing philosophies that we all learn in school, we all hear around us every day. So I think what you're saying is true, having all that confusion, our God's not a God of confusion. So one of the ways that the deceiver works is he creates a lot of confusion. And you can see this, as I mentioned in the, the question, cropping up almost immediately, A, because of the other competing like Greek philosophies about whether we were spirit or flesh or whatever, but, um, but also the, just the, um, the work of the deceiver, like sort of anticipating anticipating that that this was going to be a defining moment how how did how did he react to it how did he create confusion and and i think um what we have to do is sort of clear our minds obviously let the spirit speak through us but then to wrap our heads around it just sort just sort of understand what you're saying like jesus became he actually became the sins of the world on the cross that's why in in the uh, typology of moses raising up the serpent in the desert uh people say well. It, you know, because Jesus made this connection, right? That just as the just as the staff was raised in the desert, so I'll be raised, right? It, speaking of his crucifixion and people were like, well, how could Jesus be symbolized by a serpent, right? Because serpent is a symbol of sin, right? The serpent was in the garden and deceived Adam and Eve. And the answer is because, because Jesus had to become the sins of the world. the The actual, he actually became sin so that he could take that penalty for us. So I think if you just focus on that, and sort of quiet your mind to all the confusion the deceivers put out there about flesh and spirit and reincarnation, all these crazy ideas. And just understand that the infinite penalty of sin had to be paid for by an infinite man. Otherwise, it couldn't have been paid for. And if Jesus wasn't actually in the flesh, then you know that that would detract from it as well because then he wouldn't have actually suffered. He's God, and you know, God could turn off his pain or whatever it is. No, he had to be both. He had to be both God and man to sort of take that penalty for, for all mankind. You know, Jordan, you made me think of something there, and um, my,
2: my spirit led me to First John chapter 4, and I'm going to read a couple verses for you. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world by this you know the spirit of god every spirit that confesses jesus christ has come in the flesh is from god and every spirit that does not confess jesus is not from god this is the spirit of the antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming and now it is already in the world so i've read that many times i'm sure our listeners have read it you've read it jordan and I believe that the application here for that particular verse fits right into this conversation that we're having. Yes. That there's there's two views, right? You're either a believer or you're not. So if you're a believer, the confusion that the enemy tries to plant into the hearts of, of the believer who's not possibly well-read in Scripture is that, well, of course, we believe Jesus is God— Well, but was he, was he man though? Or was he just like God that looked like man? Right. You know, how could it be, if he didn't have a father, how's that possible? And then of course we see the opposite side of the spectrum. You know, we see the, you know, Muslims and, and we see, you know, some of the Uh, you know, if you will, some of the cult Christian religions today, like the Jehovah's Witness, they believe that, yes, there was Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He was a man. We believe in him, or we believe he was a prophet, or we believe he was the angel, you know, the archangel Michael, whatever it is, you know, it's one of the two extremes. Yes. But there's, like you said, to support what you're saying, we've got to find even ground that and believe that not only was he 100% God, but at the same time he was 100% man. And that is critical for us in order to, to receive eternal life, everlasting life through his sacrifice on the cross.
1: That's 20 minutes and that's our lesson. Before we go, don't forget, we want to hear from you. We welcome your questions and your comments, even if you don't agree with us. Just give us a call and leave a message. Our number is 908-271-6717. You
2: can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or visit our website at 20mbs.org. That's the number 20, followed by
1: the letters mbs.org. Until next time, we leave you with the words of the Apostle Paul. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and
0: the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us for another 20-minute Bible study. Special thanks to the family of Pastor Gary T. Whipple. Our music was recorded by the Abundant Life Worship Center. Our sound editor is J.P. Eli. I'm Steve Zioli, and until next time, may the Word of Christ dwell in you richly.
1: Streets of the Kingdom Incorporated.